Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It feels like 2018 was a huge year for change. We started off with an awful lot of fear. Fear coming from people saying, AI is going to destroy jobs and it's going to be the, some sort of new apocalypse. This is Humane, a weekly podcast focused on bridging the gap between humans and machines in this age of acceleration. My name is David Jakobovich, and on this podcast, I interview experts in sociology, psychology, artificial intelligence, researchers on consumer-facing products and consumer-facing companies to help audiences better understand AI and its many capabilities. If you like the show, remember to subscribe and leave a review. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Humane Podcast. My name is David Jakobovich, your host here on Bridging the Gap Between Humans and Machines in this Age of Acceleration. Today, it is my distinct pleasure to have Oliver Christie on our podcast. He is very involved in the AI industry from both a consumer and enterprise play, and he has his own new venture, Moven AI, that we're going to talk a little bit about today and how that's game-changing for the industry. Thanks for being with us, Oliver. Yeah, thank you so much. My pleasure. It's really great to catch up with you. I know we've been on some panels together around New York with NYU, and we often talk very technical about how AI is changing jobs. And I wanted today's conversation to be more geared on everybody and how we can understand what is going on and and how we can be a part of the changing landscape. So what are you seeing perhaps as some of the trends or signals here in 2019 that are becoming more mainstream that consumers should begin to think about in the industry? Yeah, great question. So it feels like 2018 was a huge year for change. We started off with an awful lot of fear fear coming from people saying AI is going to destroy jobs and it's going to be the, some sort of new apocalypse. And uh, it didn't happen in nine, it didn't happen last year, but it's starting to happen. There are starting to be very real job losses or rather actually it's tasks. AI is starting to automate away uh, some of the tasks we do as a job. So anything which is repetitive and should we say relatively straightforward, well, if a machine can do it better and cheaper, that's what's going to happen. So I think uh, I think we need to have a really open, honest discussion about 
what AI can really actually do right now, uh, what sort of uh, jobs, I was going to say are at risk, but what jobs are going to change? So if you're, I mean, I, I got pulled in to, to talk to a very, very large bank, one of the top five, about a type of automation. There's a role there which uh, is basically people, very large team, looking at um, insurance documents for underwriting. You look at the document, you sort it into one of 20 piles, and then an extra one for, we're not sure about this. And uh, they wanted to automate away that job. So I, I came in, I described the technologies, some OCR, which is basically how you read a check, some natural language processing, so how we look at uh, the words in context. And from that, you could figure out quite easily how to do the job. So we've kind of went through the process of here's, here's what you can do. And then at the end of it, I said, yes, but don't do this. This isn't the smartest approach. If you, you build a software, you build a system, and yes, you can fire everyone. And that was what they wanted to do because it's great for the bottom line. At the moment, we think of people as an expense and it's you know, something to reduce that expense. So I suggested instead a much better idea is to, to look at what the process is for decision-making around a loan application. And that the value in what the decision-making is is much better than the process. So instead have man and machine working together. Because otherwise this, this bank is, and they're going ahead with it, actually it's happened. And a lot of people lost their jobs. But they're now stuck in 2018. They're not going to be any smarter. They don't have people that the algorithm is sort of fixed in place. So as a bank, it's not a very, it's not a great long-term move. It's very kind of short-term thinking. I think for the general public, maybe it's a case of thinking, well, what is it that you can uniquely do? What is it that makes you... What, your, what are your human skills and characteristics that um, you know a bank uh, a a bank needs, and a computer maybe can't replicate? I know the the LinkedIn 2018 survey did mention that people skills are one of the most in demand skills. You know, how do you communicate, strategy, manage, and lead? And that's a very complex skill, very complex trait. It is. I mean, uh, in one hand, it's great saying, you know, consultants will always be needed. But I think it's the same actually with quite a few different job types or types of skills. I mean, human empathy is still a big deal. It's, uh, it's really quite hard to get a machine to, to talk well, you know, to show empathy. It's, uh, it's coming. There's some exciting things, but it's maybe the thing we still are best at doing is being human, is being ourselves. I think we've got taught, we've been for the last decade, two decades, maybe quite a lot longer, technology has taught us to be a certain way. And business has taught us we need to be, we need to act a certain way to make us more like a machine. And I feel like there's a shift coming where we're, we're going to become more human. It's such an interesting viewpoint you're stating, Oliver, almost contrarian that we're going to become more human because as an educator in the scene and working with 
financial uh, organizations who are either reducing their staff or trying to change the skills of the staff, it does seem roles are becoming more technical. Can the financial advisor also speak about code? And the question that's being begged for me is a big bank like the clients you've worked with that now lots of individuals are no longer working in their capacity. We mentioned they're stuck. And how do we get them unstuck? And and empathy, yes, and ethics, yes, and training, yes, are part of this conversation. But where does that leave them? You know, it's now 2019, and all the reports say hiring is through the roof, salaries are through the roof, you know, everything's going well. But I wonder if we were to take a survey of the landscape of those individuals, are they all reemployed? Are they, you know, what does that look like? And I'm not saying you have the answer, but it's uh, it's a big challenge. Oh, it's it's a huge challenge. I mean, I think it's the largest single shift since the last industrial revolution, and I think we're still actually very very early in seeing this change happen. You look at uh, you look at New York, you look at um, certainly the Silicon Valley, and the people who are employed there, it's technology, of course. But then you look outside, you look into just upstate New York and, um, you know, some, some beautiful areas which are being frankly abandoned by, absolutely by politics, by business and so on. And you've got people who are smart, hardworking, living what used to be called the American dream. But we've ha- I feel like we have a, a two-tier, we're getting a two-tier society. We're getting those people who can can use technology, can can be in this space and accept it and um, understand it to a degree. And those who are getting left behind, those who are not able to catch up, are not able to be part of this shift. And I think uh, I think we need to ask why. Some of it is simply a case of education. And by that, I don't mean university. I mean access to information. And some of it simply being connected in the right way. Broadband, for instance, isn't across the whole US. It really isn't. And if you've got someone who's, frankly, working a minimum minimum wage job or being paid less than that, well, it's very it's going to be even harder. Um, and I don't think that's a sort of society we should aim for. You know, I think bringing in the conversation about minimum wage is also very interesting because you have cities like New York City and Seattle that have said it's our mission to allow each and every individual to live an affordable life. And they've been increasing over several years, the wages to to bridge that gap. And then what small businesses have said, well, our bottom line can no longer afford this. So what additional automation solutions can we implement to also have less staff if we're paying each staff more? So it's almost a result of when regulators and the government comes in to intervene, to what capacity can companies see down the road? These are the effects that these decisions make. You know, a government shutdown doesn't do just, you know, something in Washington, D.C., but how does it trickle down to Silicon Valley? And, and there's a lot of, of a lot of that going on. Yeah, I mean, I think, it's a, I think it's a huge shame at the moment that there's absolutely no leadership coming out of Washington. The president is an idiot. 
think it's okay guys we'll cut that <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding but no no please do talk all about that but yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> we don't have leadership coming out of washington in terms of a future direction which looks and understands this type of technology we've seen washington doesn't understand how the internet or email works or social media not at all so there's a a, a disconnect there a very large disconnect. It's also why we don't have really any regulation whatsoever around AI. So at the moment, it's the Wild West, which is very exciting if you're Amazon or Facebook or whoever else. But I think people are waking up to the fact that a lot of companies are using data and algorithms fairly poorly or with, um, you know, pretty, uh, without the right intention, shall we say. I mean, uh, a lot of it is based on things like how a drug dealer works or uh, the Vegas slot machine. It's meaning we're we're clicking a lot more, we're buying more, we've got more time on site. And all of this is great for the company, but it's not very good for the end user. It's optimized our, uh, our time away from us. Um, and it's uh, made us less human, less creative, less uh, less good at connection. And I think this is where very large companies will carry on heading this sort of slightly mindless automization to make things cheaper and faster but not actually produce something which is better and i think there's going to be a something of a gold rush of much smaller companies and it can be one or two people who will have an idea of how to do something better so uh, very much like uh, uh, the early days of e-commerce, anyone could set up a store online. It wasn't too expensive. I mean, I set one up on in um, 1999. It's possible to start using AI very cheaply. But the real question is, what are you going to do with it? New set of tools and uh, what it, what's your purpose? What's, um, what's the thing you're going to try and do? And uh, to kind of flip it back, I think it, it's we become more human. Connected experiences start with people. And as you said, the technology we're seeing today is actually making us less connected. Mm. We have devices like our iPhones that all day we're searching on different social media platforms to see what our friends are doing and what's occurring in the news. This year, was it was mentioned, a new statistic, that the amount of television watching time has gone up for the first time in over a decade. Gosh. And the reason, the reason that's gone up is because everyone is watching these streaming platforms like Netflix mm -hmm. and Hulu. And before, when someone would say, let's go out to dinner, let's meet up with our friends, let's go to a networking event, now it's, oh, let's watch the new series on Netflix. And yes, some of it's exciting, it's new technology, it's it's interesting and, and thought-provoking. But for me, an experience recently that demonstrated this disconnect that's occurring is I went to a major event in New York City and there were over 500 people at this networking event. It was very exciting. And everyone had different 
color stickers and names and you know trying to make it very human to connect and throughout the evening i met different individuals and i, and I came up to someone they didn't have a name tag they didn't have the stickers on <laughs> i said let, let me engage in this conversation you know hey what's your story and we started talking and actually found that we had things in common. We worked for an organization. We, we both live in the same city, you know, all these interesting things. And, and then halfway into the conversation, they asked me a very interesting question. What they said was, why did you come up to me tonight? Mm. I didn't actually really talk to anyone. I was just listening to the speaker, like, why me? And I said, quite straight back, why not? Why not have a conversation with you? That's what we're here for, to engage with each other. And I think the reason of me sharing this story is how can we build these more connected experiences? And well, don't we owe it to ourselves? Don't we owe it to society to do this? Because if not, well, what will the world look like mm. if we think very pessimistic or dystopian a hundred years in the future? Exactly. It's funny. I think uh, I think this is key. It's about being more human, and and uh, I think twenty nineteen is certainly going to be the year of being more human, and this certainly means genuine connection. I mean, I found for the last couple of years, I've um, the best things that have happened are through a long conversation. It really does make uh, all the difference in the world, getting kind of getting past all the fluff to well, what, what are the things that really matter? And, you know, of course, I talk technology, but it's what's behind that. But interesting enough, you, you wrote something pretty much exactly four years ago on Medium. And uh, the title is People Are Inherently Good. You wrote about how we, we had the opportunity in each moment to truly connect from a place of good, of love and of power with all beings. The interesting thing is that sentiment is as relevant now as it was then. And yet, would you say uh, over the last four years that the technology has been, that has been built, it doesn't seem to reflect that sentiment at all. We don't, we have, we're not, we're just, it feels like we're having this discussion now and I'm having more di discussions around, especially around diversity and how important that really is for what we build, and what we solve for. And the other, I suppose, the, the, the flip side of that is, I think we need to get much more personal in the things we're creating. It's much more, it's much harder, you have to ask completely new questions, but it's much more exciting. I would agree with those statements. And it's interesting that you, you brought up that the post from four years ago, um, because I don't blog too often. But when I do, it's it's very like sentimental, or there's like some hidden meaning or purpose behind that. And what's interesting, this blog post, people are inherently good. I wrote this post, actually, four months before I moved to New York City. So it was an interesting time period in my life where I transitioned from one company where I was doing data science into another, but there was, well, as you mentioned in organizations, a lot of things that occur and I didn't see eye to eye with that organization and, you know, culturally was not a good fit. <laughs> and, you know, at the end of the day, I realized, well, you know what? 
there's more to life than just every single decision being made, every single cog in the wheel. For me, what this indicated, and each and every day I'm reminded, whether working with people who I hire or organizations that I partner with or data that's being ingested, is what is the grand scale? Mm. What is the big picture? And I think one for for organizations to be around for more than five years, they do need to think about their people, right? Treating people as they are people. People are not just resources. People are not just numbers, but they are your greatest asset because when people partner with the machines, well, it's people who maintain the machines, build the machines, and people augmented by machines that is going to be very powerful. And I think we're starting to see that today. Uh, in New York, there's now the R Labs, which is focused on augmented and virtual reality technologies. It's kicked off in 2019. And uh, you're seeing a lot of interest around shared experiences coming back into digital. We're talking about connected experiences in tech and 2018, we saw some of them. There were sites like Calm.com and Headspace and these other meditation type apps that did attempt for you to connect back with you, but not you with others. Exactly. I, I think we all needed a bit of breathing space last year. A bit of self-love, should we say. You know, it, it, uh, the world is was quite crazy. So to stay grounded, especially, you know, especially somewhere like New York, 18 million people who are busy and want to get things done, a subway that still doesn't work. It's challenging. So I mean, I think where where technology can help us become more grounded, or again, more human. Fantastic. I'm all for that. I think there's there's really no downside there, particularly. It's interesting, you, you said earlier about people being classed as just a cost in in a business and you're absolutely right you look at a a profit and loss sheet and the employees are a cost or a cost center so you for 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 what is it 150 years we've been thinking of how do we reduce that cost center down it's just natural economics and i would suggest that doesn't work anymore i would flip it 180 degrees and say people are an asset so not what can you squeeze out of them but what are all the things that person can bring to an organization because we've all got a huge number of talents and they're really diverse i mean i know a lot about certain subjects and nothing about others so uh if i need that information fantastic i'll look out and that's suddenly very valuable so i think uh, companies are forgetting what they've got They've got this huge resource of endless experience, um, and it's mostly being ignored pretty much universally. So I'm hoping that changes. I hope people start saying, well, what else could we do? Technology becomes the the mechanism that lets it happen, but really it's people and people's experience, which will be key. My biggest concern today is that we're losing our way, that we as society are in this race for AI, this race for more money, this race for automation. And 
I think the signals are beginning to show about a new lost generation. Um, you know, back in World War One, there was the lost generation, a time where people going to and coming from war were disoriented, wandering, directionless. I mean, what should software engineers be thinking? What should these people in towns that were once thriving, booming examples of the American economy now consider? And when you see people at the top who a lot of Americans would often have great admiration, Amazon, is it the next Microsoft? But then then you hear that Jeff and his wife of 25 years are getting divorced. So you could become the greatest billionaire on earth, the greatest showman, right? You can become the biggest company, but you can't have it all. Is it you can't have it all or we choose not to have it all? And I mean, I think we're entering lost generation 2.0 and that's that's one of my biggest concerns. I think it's um, now, I think you might be right. And I think uh, I can uh, see some of the signs of this. Uh, um, people seem to be very disconnected, depressed, um, it's not obvious what uh, success looks like anymore. But I think there's also a shift towards something better, kind of uh, what are the things that matter? What are the things that really matter? Connection, family, personal growth, and kind of your role in the world. And it's um, some of these things are quite hard to put a financial value on, or you really shouldn't. It doesn't, it's not the point. But I think there is a shift happening. There's a lot of, hearing a lot of conversations around some pretty big shifts away from a pure, pure consumer model towards something which is much more relevant for the individual. Um, one of the projects I was involved in is um, it's a kind of future-based project where if you reimagine a bank, what should it look like? Well, at the moment, every single bank is basically identical. You have slightly different branding, but not very different. Every branch is vaguely similar, uh, and every product is basically identical. So a credit card, a mortgage, a loan is the same from every bank. And this credit card, it's one credit card for everybody. There's no tailoring. There's no understanding of who you are. The bank simply doesn't care who you are at all. And you go, well, no, a bank shouldn't care who you are. Well, it's just easier for them not to bother thinking about this. But what if instead we change the model? The bank actually knows an awful lot about you, your spending habits. Tell them what sort of a person you are, what matters to you, what you do in your personal life, the activities you enjoy, what you do in your work. And there's absolutely no reason why you couldn't take that information and start helping you in your personal life. You know, it might be recommendations for the sport you like or going out or the restaurant which actually is going to fit your style. Or it could be things which help in your professional life. So here's a book, here's a, a course, here's an event you should go to. It's kind of aiding and assisting you in in your life. So it's um, banking as personal assistant in a way. It's it's surprising this isn't really happening. We have we have chatbots, but again, they're not for the individual. They're purely to make things cheaper. The banking industry is such a classic model that it's been the foundation of 
culture, the foundation of countries, having banks. The United States has more gold bullion than any country in the world. And one would think that when you visit your personal banker, they would be there to help you and offer products that could be customized for you. You know, the other day I visited one of my personal bankers and they said, would you like to open a new checking or savings account with us today? And do you know what my first question was? Yeah. Why? What's, yeah. Why? And what's your interest rate? And exactly. they didn't have an answer. And it's, um, but, but shouldn't they, if, if they are one of the big 10, 20 banks, your interest rate should be matching what the credit unions are matching. You should be able to be looking out for my interest. Um, I shouldn't have to. So one, one change I've done this year is I've taken all my money from one of the big 10 banks and moved it into a credit union and other products because that big bank was not serving my best interest. Um, not necessarily just because this organization has been in the news for different things that they've done, but they're not changing. One would expect, oh, they're going to change. You know, I've been with them for over a decade. I have this trust with them. They care for me, right? These are things that myself as a consumer would think, but then I haven't seen that ever reciprocated with a large credit card interest or fees and, and so forth. So it, it's, it's interesting though. It takes an awful lot for someone to move banks. I mean, I think a bank like Wells Fargo has seen this, which is why they're quite happy to do a lot of criminal things for decades. You have um, lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit because they are a corrupt bank. And yet, uh, you know, they're putting out more branding and, and saying, hey, trust us, we, we, we won't just keep stealing from you. And people on the whole are happy to go along with that. I mean, Wells Fargo should have been bankrupted a long, long time ago. Um, you could probably make the same argument for uh, Goldman Sachs. And I think it's interesting that we don't call this out enough or when it gets called out, the impact isn't so big. It's maybe it's human nature. Maybe that's what we're used to. There's a certain level of discomfort we're quite happy to put up with. So it's interesting. Over, over Christmas, I did a bunch of shopping through Fresh Direct. And it was great. It was very easy. I could just um, sit on my laptop, order everything, didn't have to go out into the cold. It all turned up, you know, the following day. It was incredibly quick. You know, you order at midnight and it came at seven o'clock in the morning. One of the things they delivered was a box of clementines. You're going to say, well, wait a minute, what's this got to do with AI? It does get there eventually. It had come all the way from Morocco, which is, first you look at a supply chain, that's remarkable all the way from Morocco. They tasted fantastic. Um, I ordered, you know, and they, it was super fast. And it was cheap, really, for what it was, and fresh. But once I looked all, once I'd eaten half this box of clementines for my wife, I uh, looked at, um, looked into what the ingredients were. And um, these clementines had been treated with a pesticide, which is carcinogenic. So you've got this odd trade-off between something which is very fast, it's come from the other side of the world, it's, it's cheap, it's very easy. On the other hand, you've got a little bit of uh, cancer going on. Now, I normally buy organic, so I'm, I can pay to get rid of the, the cancer part, shall we say, and you keep with all the good other good things. 
The interesting thing is, this is an Amazon company. They don't tell you on the website that this is your trade-off. And this is just a box of clementines. It's nothing uh, so clever. So when we're buying AI services from Amazon or anyone else, I think we're going to have to really look at what we're actually buying. And I think this, uh, we might be happy with the trade-off, but um, I think it's asking the question more than anything else. And asking the question we are doing today, just this year in New York, I've been to several events and one director for another uh, financial organization, State Street, was talking about their new product. And their product is about looking at your financial portfolio and seeing if a movement occurs with earnings from a company, you know, what disclosures should be shared or how are, how's all the web of lies connected, <laughs> right? Right. And it's like, should I sell my stock? Should I freak out? Or no, 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 it's just a market correction. And uh, I, I think you're right. I think it's that consumers this year are beginning to take a stand of, you want to bring AI into my life. That's great. I, I approve, but I need transparency. I need you to tell me what I'm getting, because if you don't tell me, I'm going to fight back. I'm going to do a lawsuit. We're going to stand against your product. We're going to boycott until you go bankrupt. I think you, I think you could have something even simpler, which is to say, if I don't trust your company, you can't have my data. I simply won't talk to you. And uh, I think that seems to be happening quite a lot with um, a lot of consumer-focused products. Um, no, I'm not going to talk to you. I don't trust you. So I'm going to turn you off. And uh, you turn off the source of data. The company has nowhere else to go. It has to. I think, I think 2019, apart from being more diverse, companies are going to have to be more ethical. They're going to have to really explain what they're doing and what the benefits are to both parties. And I think with this information, people will be absolutely fine giving up the data because you see what you get back. I mean, it goes beyond the kind of Facebooks of the world. I think it's going to be a much more common conversation. At the end of the day, data is based on humans. Mm. And so without humans, would there be a need to collect data? Would there be a need to create automation, to create better human experiences? And so I think there will be new careers, new ethicists, people, new fair commissions, new regulations coming out. It's going to be shaping up to be a very dynamic year of technology. You know, we've seen this year with CES 2019 that um, a lot of new technology has come out, the majority of which has been in the refinement stage of better experiences, smoother experiences. But we've also seen that more breakthrough technology of being unapologetic and that unapologeticism is like Will Proctor and Gamble and L'Oreal together saying, we're going to create an, an AI makeup sprayer for your face so that you no longer have blemishes, so that you can be who you want to be. So it's interesting. The technology could be to make a consumer feel better about themselves or to feel better with others. And I think only time will tell whether it's all about our feelings or you know what direction this year shapes up to be. I know one thing for sure is these conversations that you and I are having are, are just the beginning. 
I think they are. I think this is key. It's having this sort of open conversation, this open dialogue. I mean, you've noticed we haven't said anything technical. We don't need to talk on the on the technical, the mechanics behind the scenes to get to what are the things that should matter to individuals and society. Um, I think we need to lead much more with what matters rather than leading with the the technologies. Um, I think that's uh, that's certainly something that's going to happen this year because once you do that, you can figure out well what are the problems we need to solve, what what really matters. And then you ask, well, we, we need to solve this. What tools are available? And that's really all AI is. It's a whole bunch of different tools which can give you a particular insight. So, um, yeah, I think that's, uh, I'm seeing that's where things are pushing towards and actually happening quite quickly as well. It's new tools, but the same solutions still with the same old humans, right? <laughs> we are not going anywhere. We're not. We're not. Uh, yeah, uh, more humans. I hope. I uh, hope it's a much more diverse set of people who are involved in decision making. That will really help. Um, and talking about the things which are uniquely human. It's um. It's, hey, it's much more exciting. I couldn't agree with you more. And uh, Oliver, I appreciate your thought leadership always and for being with us here today on the Humane Podcast. There's so many things in the works this year. It sounds like you're off to a great start and bringing more humans into the conversation with AI solutions is important. And we'll circle back as uh, we see what new solutions banks take on this year, especially the clients you're working with, Wells Fargo is named, you know, will will we finally see uh, something special this year? I think only time will tell. Yes, I mean, uh, I think this year is going to be fantastic. A lot of shifts. So yeah, looking forward to uh, seeing what, where it goes. Absolutely. And for the consumer listening on the podcast, as always, it's up to you. I think if I had a takeaway today, it's up to you. You can make the decision. Where do you want your data stored? Who do you want to use who you are. Well, I think it comes down to your pocketbook and you can spend where you choose to spend and and you have the right to have the data to inform your de decisions. If there is a clementine that tastes delicious that you get from online delivery, well, shouldn't you have the option to get that organic clementine or at minimum, shouldn't it be the duty of the company to disclose to you that this is not a California organic clementine, but this is one from Morocco. And not only does it have potentially these adverse side effects, but also it actually costs more gasoline <laughs> to get it to you. So it's not just potentially, it's the whole supply chain. Mm. I, I digress, but yes. That's it for this episode of Humane. I'm David Jakobovich, and if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to click subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening to this. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you in the next one. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working... The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.